Clark had uh, collaborated. Clark collabor. Carth collab. Yeah, Carth. Clark collaborated with Atari Age user Keith Carlson, better known as Nutsy Doodleheimer. Attention listeners, my allergies are acting up, so I'm going to sound kind of sniffly, kind of nasally. I apologize for that, but that's not going to stop me from presenting to you episode 45 of the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. Oh, by the way, my name is Sean, and I will be your host for this episode and uh, future episodes, of course. I really don't have a heck of a lot to say right now. You know how I like to have uh, an introductory segment that just kind of goes wherever I feel at the time. Well, well, I don't really know where I feel like going right now. There is one thing I should mention. Uh, as most of you listening know, I also co-host Pie Factory Podcast. And uh, the most recent episode we released, episode 83 was going totally off topic. It wasn't about arcade video games. It was actually about um, depression, suicide prevention, things along those lines. And the reason I'm mentioning is because um, my co-host Jimmy G and I, we both feel very strongly about mental health. And September was uh, National Suicide Prevention Month, so we figured we better do something in recognition of that and... uh, I just wanted to bring that up. If you or anybody you know suffers from any kind of related problems, you might want to uh, give that episode a listen. I'll link it in the show notes. So spread the word if you know of anybody who could be interested in that. Uh, We got some really good feedback about that. So thank you, everybody who's listening, who listened to that and said kind things to us about that. But moving on, um, man, I... I apologize. This episode's kind of starting off in kind of a gloomy note, you know, suicide prevention, depression, uh, very important things, of course. And it's going to continue on that kind of downer side. Uh, those of you who don't follow Atari age at all, it looks like uh, Bob DiCrescenzo has stepped away from Atari 7800 development. Not only that, but he actually shut down his Atari age account, which is kind of concerning. Some people say, yeah, he's probably just taking a break for now. He'll be back. Um, I don't ever remember him completely disabling his Atari age account before. And it sounded like he was kind of discouraged by some things. Uh, he was in the middle of working on baby Pac-Man. And I know that working on the pinball part of baby Pac-Man was really getting to him, but there are other people who stepped in and offered some help. And he said, you know what? I quit. Here's the source code. Anybody who wants to take it over, go right ahead. And there are people who are working on it right now, so I'm at least happy about that, that Baby Pac-Man will indeed be continued. Whatever Bob decides, whether he decides to rejoin the Atari Age community and start to, if he decides to do some more 7800 development, or if he decides he's just done with it completely, I just hope that he's happy. That's the important thing. But um, changing the mood a little bit, there has been some further progress on the Atari 7800 expansion module. Uh, I believe uh, TEP382, who's the uh, 
genius behind Donkey Kong PK and Donkey Kong XM. I believe he's been uh, doing a lot of work on that along with Kurt Vendel. And speaking of Kurt Vendel, something else that uh, just popped up in, uh, in case uh, some of you don't know about this yet, the Syzygy 3200 is starting to be talked about. And the Syzygy 3200, it's made by Kurt Vendel's little independent company, I guess. And it is a Atari 7800 compatible gaming system. Well, 2600 compatible too. And it's going to be using the cases from the never released Atari 3200, which is what evolved into the 7800. And this is looking really interesting. I believe it's going to have HDMI ports, so it'll work with uh, modern TVs. The controller is an eight-way joystick with uh, buttons on the side. I don't know how I feel about that. That's kind of uh, part of the problem with the 5200 and especially 7800 controllers is you have your fire buttons on the side, and I know that's a thorn in the side. Mm, pun not intended, but hey, I'll take it. A thorn in the side for Intellivision users because their controllers have the fire buttons on the side too. But the joystick on the controller, it's an eight-way joystick that also doubles as a paddle. Kind of like that, uh, is it a Jack's plug-and-play that has pole position? Do you actually turn the joystick as if it were a steering wheel? I think it's kind of like that. And uh, the controllers will also be sold separately. So if you just want the controller, then you can get the controller. And it uses actual 2600 and 7800 cartridges. I don't know this for a fact, but I think... The price that was tossed out for this unit was something like $69.95 or something. That's not bad. I would easily pay that for, for this kind of a system here. What's interesting is that if you go to Syzygy 32, by the way, I, I, I don't remember if I did this or not, but I, sometimes I say Syzygy and I'll tell you why. Uh, if I, if you hear me slip and pronounce it with a hard G, here's why I never heard that word, the word Syzygy until I was a senior in high school. And even then I didn't really hear it, but I took Latin one as a senior in high school. And the introductory chapter of the textbook told you how to pronounce Latin. And even though it was a Catholic school, we were learning classical Latin, which predates church Latin. Uh, and in classical Latin, the G's are always hard. And the pronunciation guide in the book said that Z's are supposed to be pronounced as if there are D's in front of them. Like instead of, I can't think of any Latin words with the letter Z in them, but like, for example, if zebra were a Latin word, you would pronounce it zebra. It's kind of like how in German, if you come across a Z, you're supposed to pretend there's a T in front of it. And it also said that the letter Y in Latin, which is rare in Latin, it said you're supposed to pronounce the letter Y as if you pronounce a long U in French, which means you... Form your lips as if you're going to say ooh, but you say e instead, so it sounds like ooh, I guess, or, or kind of like a uh, long u umlaut in German, like with farfagnugen. You're, you're supposed to pronounce it like that. So, like the example word that they used in the text to uh, pronounce all this stuff together was s y z y g i u m, which would be pronounced sudzigium or something like that. So that just always stuck to me. So if I say, if, so if I say Syzygy, that's why. And uh, I, I don't think I've ever learned any Latin words with Y in them because, well, at least our teacher told us that if you ever come across a Y in Latin, it was most likely borrowed from a Greek word or something. But, ah, linguistics with Sean. 
I should do a podcast about that. Maybe that'll be a segment in the autobiography of a schnook. I don't know. But that's the um, Syzygy 3200 console, which is great. I don't, there are some people who are kind of irked about this. They're saying, uh, I don't want to hear about this until the XM is out. Well, the thing about that is, yeah, I hear you. But you can't say there isn't demand for something like this. Every time a new Atari flashback comes out, one of the first questions anybody asks is, is it 7800 compatible? Of course, it's usually not. What about the Retron 77? Is that 7800 compatible? No, there's a demand for it. I am personally happy about it. And yeah, I'm one of the people who's had an XM on pre-order for a number of years. But I understand that bleep happens. Kurt had health issues and there are problems getting things working with certain different 7,800 consoles. Kind of the same reason that the concerto cart is not out in full production. So I totally understand all that. So I just keep thinking, I'm just going to let Kurt do his job and he's got a pretty strong reputation he has to uphold. And I know he's not going to do anything to destroy it. But that's um, what I had to say about news and about other things like that. And I want to mention again, wow, I, did, I didn't realize how close this was about to happen because November is next month. But I mentioned this before, I just want to mention it again. I'm going to be participating in Extra Life. And Extra Life is a video game marathon meant to raise money for children's hospitals. So it goes to sick kids, basically. And I'm going to be participating in that this year. I think I mentioned before, I think Ferg does that a lot too. And uh, gaming day this year is November 3rd. So on November 3rd, that's when those of us who are participating are going to be playing video games for 24 hours. Uh, I'm not going to be doing all 24 hours straight. I mentioned before, I'm going to go to Underground Retrocade in West Dundee, Illinois from the time they open at 11 a.m. Central Daylight Time. Or wait, will it be standard time? by the, Well, Central Time, whatever. I'll be there from 11 a.m. to the time they close, which I believe is 1 a.m. And I will take breaks to go to the bathroom, of course, and have a supper break or something. So I'm going to estimate that I'll be there, let's see, 12 and then carry the two. So 13 hours. And the other 11 hours, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm probably going to, well, obviously, I'll probably do some of those 11 hours on Friday night, some of those 11 hours on Sunday. And my goal is to raise $500 for Lurie Children's Hospital here in Chicago. And when I was looking through the list of Chicago hospitals that are participating in Extra Life, I saw Lurie was on there. My friend Keith, who's a fellow classic video gamer, in fact, he lives right by Underground Retrocade. Both of his kids were treated by Lurie Children's Hospital at various times. And this is kind of my way of giving back a little bit, I guess, kind of saying thanks to Lurie. Uh, I was hoping that Shriners Hospital would be uh, participating too, because I have another friend whose kids were treated over there several times, and uh, I was going to see if I could participate with them as well, but they weren't on the list. But anyway, that's what's going on for me. I have $50 so far. I'm trying to raise 500 I will put a link in the show notes to my donation page. So if you can chip in a couple of bucks, that would be wonderful. So that's all I had to say at this point. What I wanted to do since, wow, I'm really coming to the end of the line with Atari 7800 homebrews to talk about, at least homebrews that are finished, I should say. 
There's still a couple that are in progress, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Probably by the time the year is over, this podcast will be going on hiatus until we build us up some more homebrews to talk about. (laughs) But what I wanted to do, there are four homebrews by Franco Dragon that I have not yet discussed on this podcast. And folks, that's going to change right now. And those four homebrews are Cubicle Chaos, Crazy Tank, The Big Burrito, and Hardy Manslapper. So why don't I start with the alphabetically first game, The Big Burrito? So the Big Burrito, which is spelled, by the way, with two exclamation points. So it's the Big Burrito, bang, bang. Clark collaborated with Atari Age user Keith Carlson, better known as Nutsy Doodleheimer, on the concept of the Big Burrito. And it's based loosely on a true story. Well, maybe not so much a true story, but true life, I should say. Here's the backstory, and I quote, You are Mr. Kogel, the assistant director at a grocery store. Your boss is a mean, nasty, morbidly obese man that wants to make your day at work a living nightmare. He pouts and whines all day. But he has a weakness. He loves Mexican food, but his top favorite are chimichangas. So you must navigate through six areas of the grocery store warehouse, avoiding shopping carts, forklifts, and pallet jacks so you can keep stuffing him with the deep-fried treats. So there you go. That's the concept behind the game. And you use the joystick to maneuver the assistant director. And uh, there's only one problem is that you can only carry one chimichanga at a time. To feed the boss, you throw a chimichanga at him by using the fire button. So you throw a chimichanga at the boss, then you have to go out and get another one. You can't just grab a bunch. To go to the next level, you need to feed the boss a minimum number of chimichangas. And each level has its own minimum number. Once you feed your boss the required number of chimichangas, he disappears, and then a freight elevator appears in the room on the far left. Enter the freight elevator, and you are teleported into a different part of the store, and you basically repeat that process. If you get hit by a forklift, a shopping cart, or a pallet jack, you lose a life. It almost sounds like Keystone Capers, doesn't it? In one of the levels, the boss farts and um, said, and um, the flatulence clouds are fatal, so you want to avoid those clouds. There will be a text message on the screen that tells you uh, if you are in a level that has the fatal farts. They're pretty easy to avoid, actually. You get three lives, I guess, and if you lose all your lives, the game ends, and there's a screen that gives you a message, Damn it, Kogel, where's my chimichangas? And so that's the game. That's it. Uh, Why is it called the Big Burrito, though, if you keep feeding the boss chimichangas or no burritos in the game? Well, it's because the name comes from an actual nickname given to a former boss that Nutsy Doodleheimer worked with. Uh, uh, His co-workers called the guy the Big Burrito. The boss was apparently very lazy and a real jerk and, uh, well, large and hefty to say the least. He was about six feet tall and about 400 pounds, give or take, uh, which... Actually makes me feel a lot better about myself, I must say. (laughs) But apparently he would repeatedly berate the assistant manager and say, I want chimichangas! So that's the story of the actual person named the Big Burrito. Now, about the game itself, you know that I like to go through the development history if you've ever heard another episode of this podcast. As was usual for Clark Otto, the game was done with 7800 Basic, a very easy-to-learn programming language, uh, hard to master, unfortunately, I'm finding out the hard way. But um, 
the game itself, it incorporates code from Atari Age user Mord's demo of scrolling screens uh, that Mord posted in 2015. The way that the screen scrolls, kind of like the original NES version of The Legend of Zelda, the screen doesn't actually scroll as you walk, but when you exit a room, the entire screen gets pushed over to one side, and then you start again, uh, if that makes any sense to you. But anyway, the game was originally posted on August 20th, 2017, as a 48 kilobyte ROM. Clark had specifically used that size because it's a fairly simple size to develop for, if you will. The game had no sound at this point because the sound effects were crashing actual 7800 hardware, he found. Clark had said that he would make the game available on cartridges for $25 a piece plus shipping. A couple of days later, August 22nd, Clark had posted a bug fix that affected the sound effect that indicated you picked up a chimichanga. He also posted a picture of the front label for the cartridge, and that was designed by Nutsy Doodleheimer. The artwork depicts the fat boss in a grocery store, and the boss is wearing, a, in my opinion, an ill-fitting uh, kind of royal blue button-down shirt. His right eye is represented with a spiral-looking character, and the left eye is either black or covered with an eye patch, I can't tell for sure. And the boss has terrible acne, uh, which I guess is because of all the chimichangas. I can imagine that being the cause. And uh, it's obvious from looking at the picture that the boss was based on somebody that uh, was not well-liked at all. But on August 28th, uh, there was another picture posted, this time of a complete cartridge and a manual. And it's the typical Franco Dragon game manual. It's a simple 85 by 11 piece of paper printed from a consumer printer in landscape orientation. Now, my personal thoughts on the Big Burrito. The background graphics are pretty crude. Uh, you'd never guess you were in a grocery store just from looking at the screen, so it's kind of hard to tell. And there are certain objects on the screen. I don't know if they're supposed to be like aisles of shelves or what, but they're pretty much meaningless. You can move right through them. There are some graphical glitches in the game, especially with the boss. Like when you change rooms, you might see an image of the boss like flicker very briefly. So that, that's a glitch that might need to be looked at. The moving objects, however, those were very well designed. The forklifts, there's no question, but from looking at it, you're looking at forklifts. The forklifts look like forklifts, shopping carts look like shopping carts, etc. And the player animation is really good. And I talked before about the um, scrolling in the game, the Zelda-style scrolling. Uh, there's only horizontal scrolling. You don't actually move up and down into other rooms. That's what the freight elevator is for. And you enter the freight elevator, you're automatically in a new part of the building. It's There's no like elevator-style animation or anything. It's more of a teleportation. And this is kind of a sticking point with me with a lot of Franco Dragons games, that it needs more sound. There's very little sound in the game. But check it out, see what you think, and um, let's talk about another game by Franco Dragon, Clark Otto Jr. Let's talk about Cubicle Chaos. Now, when I was talking about the Big Burrito, you heard me mention that the Big Burrito was 48 kilobytes. Well, Cubicle Chaos is six times as big. It's 128 kilobytes. Once again, done with 7800 Basic. And uh, Franco Dragon got some help with Atari Age user Rev Ang on this title. And the game also uses Atarius Maximus's 7800 Basic Zelda engine example that uh, I believe was packaged with... 
the 7800 basic distribution itself. About cubicle chaos, you are a disgruntled worker who invented a shoe cannon that shoots dry erase markers. Um, wouldn't that make it a marker cannon? You know what? Yeah, I'm going to call it a marker cannon from now on, or just a cannon. But anyway, what you're supposed to do is shoot markers at your coworkers and at office equipment. It kind of sounds almost like office space to me, but a less extreme version. And your goal is to find the boss somewhere within five floors of the office building and shoot a marker at him. It was December 3rd, 2014, when Franco Dragon first posted about the game. He posted some screenshots and the front and back box art. The front box art depicts a disgruntled worker doing what looks like kicking a computer in a cubicle, but the shoe appears to be a mouth or something. Really hard to explain the picture. But the worker is also carrying a sack with a dollar sign on it. There are co-workers looking at him in anger and horror, and there's a paper airplane flying across the room, as well as a paperclip with eyes. Hmm. And I'll get back to that in a second. On the back of the box, there's a heading that says, Work Sucks, and below that, there are two screenshots. And there's also this blurb. It says, again, I quote, You've had it with your position as an associate at Flawful, F-L-A-W-F-U-L-L, Technologies. You've dealt with incompetent managers, clueless supervisors, and even the boss with his fear-mongering traits. Now you're willing to get revenge with all those who used you for their personal gain. Lucky for you that you're a hobbyist inventor with your dry erase marker shoe cannon. Shoot your ungrateful co-workers with an unlimited supply of markers, but watch out you don't come in contact with them. Explore five floors and use your cannon to destroy office equipment. Your final goal is to find the boss somewhere in the building and give him a taste of felt-tip marker. Man, one thing I love about the Clark Otto Jr. titles is the backstories are so freaking creative and uh, unusual for at least Atari 7800 video games. I, I applaud him for that. There are some bullet points, too, on the back of the box. It says, for one player, explore many rooms with office equipment to destroy. Fun to play to lower work stress. Um, I can't argue with that. That's actually a good point. And even has evil paper clips as enemies from a well-known word processor. <laughs> oh, mercy. The next day, by the way, December 4th, Clark had posted an alternative picture of the front box art, this time with uh, William Shatner's face on the disgruntled employee. Just my observations on the gameplay, this is a very busy game. There's a lot going on. You have coworkers everywhere. And of course, you have to avoid them or shoot them with markers. You get points for hitting your coworkers or your office equipment with markers. But if you make actual contact with a coworker or a projectile, such as a flying paper airplane or a paperclip with eyes, you lose hit points and your hit points starts at 100. If you lose all your hit points, the game is over and you get a black screen with a message on it that says you're fired. And one kind of odd property of this and other games that Franco Dragon did is that if you uh, hit the fire button, you actually have to hold the fire button down for a complete shot. If you release the fire button before the shot either disappears or hits something, then the shot just vanishes off the screen. It's a pretty odd mechanic. But what's even odder, and I think this is actually intentional, you can actually control the direction of the markers you shoot once you actually shoot. The marker actually changes direction as you move the joystick. And one thing that I noticed is that if you enter and exit a room, there's this kind of weird property that, again, is not really that uncommon for a game that Clark 
programmed. Uh, when you move to different rooms, like if you enter a new room and then you backtrack into the previous room, somehow the room is completely different from what it was before. It's kind of weird. So overall, my overall critique of uh, Cubicle Chaos is it's a fun game to play. It needs some improvement, though. The player isn't really animated. The feet don't move. Either that or I have an older version of the ROM than what was actually uh, released. Because I don't have this on a cartridge yet. But the player isn't animated. It could He could use some moving feet. Uh, it's a very challenging game, though. I was not able to find the boss the several times I played this to prep for the episode. So I could never win the game. Uh, I will one day, though. I will find the boss and shoot the boss. I'm going to man-slap that but Oh, you know what? This is what we call in the business a segue. I'm going to man-slap that game heartily. And uh, speaking of which, let's talk about another Franco Dragon game, Hearty Man Slapper. So, Hearty Man Slapper, that's um, an interesting title. The first thing that came to mind when I heard that was, uh, I don't know if this is still a thing, but I remember when I was a little kid in the late 70s, I'd watch Sesame Street, and there was a character, uh, one of the Muppets, named Harvey Knee Slapper. And uh, that's the first thing that came to mind. But no, this has nothing to do with Harvey Knee Slapper. I asked Clark where the name Hardy Man Slapper comes from because it just seemed weird. I Googled it and all I could find was the uh, Hardy Man Slapper discussion thread. Turns out that I'm treading into some pretty uh, touchy territory here. So I'm just going to have that disclaimer right now. But the name comes from an October 2016 discussion thread on Atari.io. And in that thread, there were some users complaining about the Atari Age forum, specifically in relation to, um, it was a Craigslist posting, I think, of what was supposed to be a prototype board for an Intellivision version of Junior Pac-Man. Well, it turned out to be a practical joke. It was not a prototype, but a homebrew. And something similar happened, of course, with uh, Junior Pac-Man for the Atari 7800, as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast pretty regularly. And uh, several posters on Atari.io were upset about that and um, all those practical jokes, usually which happen around April 1st. Atari Age user Rev, who was the originator of the prank, actually created an account on Atari.io just so he could step in and say, hey, you know what, that was my prank, I apologize. So he did. He apologized, and uh, he was immediately banned from Atari.io. Um, Justin, who's one of the mods over there, at Atari.io, he said, if somebody disruptive shows up with a bad reputation and drags issues into our community, they are going to be removed from the site. And uh, that post included a link to the Atari.io house rules. Now, as for the name Hardy Manslapper itself, that came from a message in the discussion thread from Atari.io user Rosedower70. He said, and I quote, that'll be the last time I ever log into Atari Age sleazeballs and uh, D-bags. If Albert, uh, who owns Atari Age, if Albert shows up to Arcade Expo, I may give him a hearty man slap. Well, that's the, the only thing about that is Albert had absolutely nothing to do with this little uh, television joke, so I don't know where that um, anger comes from, but regardless, uh, that's where the name hearty man slapper comes from. And Atari Age users were discussing what exactly is man slapping, and Atari Age user Powerpack Blog suggested that it would make a great homebrew title. So that's what sparked the idea for Nutsy Doodleheimer to 
dream up a game called Hardy Man Slapper. You wake up shrunken inside someone's stomach and you need to get out. Um, apparently that's supposed to be kind of a metaphor for um, Atari.io or something. I, I don't know, but still, I, all right, I, I know I'm getting controversial here, but I really do need to interfere with my personal opinion here. Uh, I, I really think people on both sides of this whole thing, Atari.io and Atari Age, they just need to get over each other. So the prototype isn't real. Big freaking deal. It's actually a homebrew. Oh, boo-hoo. So instead of one rare prototype board, we're going to actually have a whole bunch that everybody who wants one can enjoy. Wow. Boo-hoo. So instead, you get better news. And this whole back and forth thing, Atari Age people were saying, well, why is there Atari.io anyway? We have Atari Age. A big freaking deal. There's nothing that says that Atari Age has to have a monopoly on online web-based discussion. <sighs> I just, just everybody just shut up and learn how to live with each other, okay? I'm a user of both forums. I like both forums. So, <sighs> Anyway, having said all that, let's get back to the game itself. Like I said before, you're trapped inside someone's stomach and you need to get out. You are armed with a fork and you need to fight off some, well, semi-anthropomorphic carrots, onions, potatoes, roast beef, and other undigested foods. And if you can find a knife, you're actually better off with a knife. And here's why. The fork just stays with you the whole time. You basically stab your enemies. And uh, you can only stab to the right and to the left. But if you have a knife... You can actually shoot the knife in any direction you want. And uh, kind of like with Cubicle Chaos, you can actually control where the knife goes once it leaves your hand. You can use a joystick moving around. And uh, judging from what Franco Dragon said in the description, this is actually fully intentional. It's not a bug that he didn't bother fixing. He wanted it to happen that way. And uh, you're going to encounter bosses, which Clark named Krabby Cabbage, Bad Bean, and Bruto Broccoli. And as with many of Franco Dragon's games, you have a limited number of hit points. I think it's 100. And uh, you can replenish your hit points with junk foods, including cake and fried chicken. If you run out of hit points, the game ends with a blue screen and a yellow message that kind of pointedly says, Keep our site beautiful. It was on uh, November 29th, 2016 that Franco Dragon introduced the Hardy Man Slapper game, complete with playable ROMs. On December 7th, Clark posted a picture of a Hardy Man Slapper cartridge and the manual. And again, 8.5 by 11 black and white printout in landscape orientation. December 8th, Clark posted that he found out that a few of the cartridges had a bug in which if you made contact with an onion or potato, your hit points wouldn't be affected. He said it's a very minor bug, but nonetheless, it's a bug. So if you want one of these cartridges, I'll sell it to you for $20, but the fixed version will cost you $35. There was actually one Atari Age user who specifically asked for both a glitched version and a fixed version. Now that's a completist. My overall opinion of the game... Uh, Something that I've noticed in most of uh, Franco Dragon's games is that the color schemes are kind of weird. They're a little bit on the odd side, and Hardy Manslapper is no exception. But having said that, the odd color scheme actually fits this game perfectly. It's a lot of shades of pink, but remember, you're supposed to be inside a digestive system, so the colors work, and I really, really like the colors. And the walking foods, they're animated very well, and they're actually kind of amusing to uh, look at as well, so I really like that. And kind of like with Cubicle Chaos, you have different 
I'm just going to call them rooms, I guess. If your digestive system can have rooms, you have rooms in this game. But unlike with Cubicle Chaos, once you leave a room but then re-enter it, you're back in the same room. It doesn't magically change to a brand new room. So I thought that was that was nice. And just like Cubicle Chaos, though, this game is challenging. It was It's easy to get lost in the different rooms. I was unable to escape, and I found that junk food is actually hard to find, but when you do find it, you do get a pretty generous hit point replenishment. So really, though, when you play this game, just be careful you'll get lost. You might even want to see if you can make yourself a map of the game. That'll help you out a lot. But it's a fun game, fun game. Really enjoy it. And it's not too crazy either. And it's, it's a little bit on the crazy side, too. Uh, another segue, everybody, because next I should address Crazy Tank. Man, I really wish this next game would have been on the Atari 2600 because Ferg could have talked about it in his Summer, Summer of, of Tanks. Tanks. So here's the description that Clark Otto Jr. gives about Crazy Tank. You're driving a tank on a basic exercise only until you see bizarre enemies later on. Are you going crazy? Or is it something else that's making everything else crazy? Uh, Translation, it's not the tank itself that's crazy, it's everything around it. But yeah, uh, I don't know, I think you would consider Crazy Tank to be a rail shooter, really. You're in a tank that is constantly moving forward. You cannot control the forward or backward motion of it. It moves for you, but you do move it left and right with a joystick. The gameplay concept is pretty simple. You just shoot the enemies that are in the air and on the ground, avoid enemy missiles, and don't collide with your enemies that are on the ground. If you make contact with an enemy or an enemy missile, your fuel level will diminish. You start with 70 fuel points. As you progress, you will periodically approach a small fort. If your tank makes contact with that fort, it basically acts as a teleporter, and it takes you to a completely different set of scenery. And as you progress through the scenes, the more varied and strange the enemies you'll encounter, um, it's... Well, you'll you'll understand what I mean by strange. Um, early on, you have your typical military kind of enemies like airplanes and helicopters. But as you get further in the game, you're going to see kind of weird things like mermaids and giant smiley faces and much to my mature sense of humor's delight, flying toilets. And different enemies have a different number of hits that you need in order to destroy them. Some enemies, just one hit and they're gone. But some enemies you have to hit several times, like I think helicopters There's an interesting mechanic with your firepower. As with a lot of Clark's games, the longer you hold down the fire button, the farther your shots go. But the shots don't disappear once they hit something. They just continue until either you let go of the fire button or they're off the screen. And yeah, this does mean that one shot could actually destroy multiple enemies. Once you destroy one enemy, the shot's going to continue going through. It's a very interesting mechanic. I can't think of any other game that has that feature other than the breakthrough variation of breakout on the 2600 but periodically you'll see some small fuel tanks run over them with your tank and you will replenish your fuel points when you run out of fuel points the game isn't over you can still play you can still shoot your enemies but the thing is your tank can't move anymore which means that once you get hit after running out of fuel points you're dead and the game is over 
And Clark has hinted that, um, and I quote, it's rumored that a secret ending exists, but finding it may make you crazy. Um, for this episode, I didn't ask him to reveal what the secret ending is or how to get to it. Somebody found that you could accidentally trigger it uh, through, I think, a cuddle cartridge or a concerto cartridge, but I'm not sure. But regardless, the game was first posted to Atari Age on March 10th, 2018, and there was a graphically tweaked version, again, posted on May 1st. And on that same day, Clark also posted a picture of a crazy tank cartridge and a manual, again, black and white, printed on landscape-oriented 8.5 by 11-inch paper. On May 11th, Clark did another tweak to dedicate some coding to the explosions. There are some very, very short explosions in the game. Uh, and to do the explosions, Clark actually had to shorten the introductory tune to free up some programming memory. There was discussion of boxes possibly being made for the cartridge, but I don't know if the boxes ever actually came to fruition. I know the cartridges did, but I can't comment on the boxes. But so far, that is the history of Crazy Tank. Uh, obviously, it was uh, inspired by a battle zone and robot tank. Franco Dragon himself said that. And personally, this game, uh, it's another game where the graphics are kind of, I don't know, not exactly professional looking, but nonetheless, it is a fun play. I really, really like playing Crazy Tank. Uh, one critique I have about the graphics, though, is that you can kind of tell that the grounds are made of tiles. Like, you can actually see the tile borders in a way, just because of the way the graphics are designed. I think if the texture of the graphics was a little bit more random, it would be much more smoother. So that's it. But it's a fun game to play. And there's really some strategy involved with the game mechanics, with holding the fire button down and the firepower destroying the enemies, but continuing on so you can destroy more enemies. And it's really a fun strategy to try to figure out. I, I'm really, really liking Crazy Tanks quite a lot. Now, if I had to rank these games in order from least favorite to most favorite, I would have to say probably the order that I discussed them, probably going from number four to number one. Number four would have to be Big Burrito. Number three would have to be Cubicle Chaos. Uh, it's better graphics, I think. Uh, you can actually tell you're in cubicles in, in uh, many of the screens, but a little bit too challenging for me. Uh, Hardy Manslapper, very similar to Cubicle Chaos, but I do love the game mechanics on it, and the, again, entering and exiting rooms is a little bit more realistic, so I really like that part. And, I, and the challenge, oh, couldn't get out, but thing is, it just makes me want to play the game more so I know what it's like to escape from a digestive system. And I think my favorite of the bunch is Crazy Tank, again, because it's fun using that shooting mechanism. But now that I've stated my own opinions about the game, let's hear what others have to say. Crazy I'm crazy for feeling so lonely Feedback for this episode didn't get a heck of a lot, so I will just go straight into it. On Atari Age Gambler 172 says, Crazy Tank is more than a good game. Near at the top. Yeah, it's a fun game. Big Burrito is good and makes lots of fun. 
Uh, the others are something in the middle. Not really top, but worth the play. Greetings, Walter. And thank you, Walter. Or should I say, Danka, Walter. And um, I can't really add much more to that. It's a standard Gambler 172, short and to the point. And uh, I'm going to flip over to uh, TrekMD, who has uh, sent me an email about the four Franco Dragon titles. Who says, hello, Sean, I hope all is well. I'm doing pretty well myself. I've been discharged by the three surgeons who operate on me this year. I still do have a few restrictions to allow for complete healing, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. So today you have four games from Franco Dragon in the episode, and there is my feedback on them. Crazy Tank. In this game, you drive a tank on a basic exercise, but then things go crazy as all sorts of objects start appearing and shooting at you, or do kamikaze runs. You control the tank by moving it left and right, and the range of your gun by holding down the fire button. The longer you hold the button, the further the shots go. This is important because there are objects anywhere from the ground level to the sky attacking you. Your ammo is unlimited, but you have a limited fuel supply, but there are some fuel tanks that show up every once in a while. Grab them and replenish your fuel. Also, keep an eye on some forts that show up as these are how to move to the next level, as it were, of the game. The game ends when you run out of fuel and an enemy hits you. Crazy Tank is one of the latest games from Franco Dragon. While the game has the typical look of his games, this is different as it is a shooter. I like how the tank looks as it reminds me of the tank and the 2600 version of Battlezone. Though the gameplay is simple, Crazy Tank is fun. Oh, speaking of the tank, I forgot to mention, um, Eugenio, thank you, by the way. I like the animation of the tank, like how you can see the treads moving. That's He did a really good job with that, so good job on that, Clark. Having said that, though, the background isn't animated at all, so you can't really see the background moving at all. But you know what? That's okay, because the gameplay is there. You probably really won't even notice it. Uh, I'm going to get back to Eugenio's feedback here. He says about the big burrito, this Franco Dragon was released last year. In it, you control Mr. Kogel. Did I, did I say that right? I think so. That's how I said it before, I think. The assistant director at a grocery store that is run by a nasty, morbidly obese manager. The man just wants to make your life impossible at the store, but you can appease him by getting him chimichangas, his favorite Mexican food. To do so, you must roam the grocery store warehouse while avoiding shopping carts, forklifts, and pallet jacks while picking up any chimichangas that appear around the grocery store to take to the manager. Touching him won't hurt you, but stay away from his farts. Those are deadly. Uh, by the way, you can only carry one chimichanga at a time, so you'll have to walk around the store to get another one. Once the fat boss has eaten the food you bring him, he disappears and a freight elevator will take you to the next area. The big burrito has simple gameplay, but it's fun. The graphics are in Franco Dragon style, and there is minimal sound, but they do the trick. And uh, yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that, so I'm going to move on to Eugenio's comments on Cubicle Chaos. In this 2014 game from Franco Dragon, you control a disgruntled employee who is trying to find his boss to shoot him. Mr. Disgruntled has actually invented a shoe cannon that shoots dry erase markers, which have become his weapon of choice. You control Mr. Disgruntled through five floors in the building as he looks for his boss. The game was made using Atarius Maximus's Zelda engine, so it is pretty much a type of adventure game. The graphics are in the style we have come to know and love from Franco Dragon, but this one is a bit different. There's plenty of color, along with zany characters that are walking around the building, and they, whom you also shoot. Unfortunately, this game does not appear to be finished as it has a number of bugs. It definitely has potential, though. 
I think Franco Dragon may have just used this as a way to learn how to work with the Zelda engine, but that is just my speculation. Regardless, we know he made use of what he learned to make better games. And yeah, I d by the way, um, Eugenio, when I was reading that, it just occurred to me, shoe cannon that shoots markers, maybe it's a cannon made out of shoes. Ooh, it just now occurred to me. Hmm. Thing is, I have to confess, I'm not terribly familiar with Zelda. I tried the NES Legend of Zelda and couldn't get anywhere on that freaking game at all. So I might actually have more to say about this, but I just don't know. I just don't know. Uh, and finally, Eugenio comments on Hardy Manslapper. This game is the result of the combined efforts of Franco Dragon and Retro Gamer 81081 and was released in 2016. And this one you control a microscopic man who is in someone's digestive system for unknown reasons. All that matters is that Microman wants out and you have to help him do that. He is armed with a fork and he has to fight all sorts of food items along the way. Things like roast beef, carrots, and potatoes. As well as bosses who live inside this person's gut. You know, characters like Bad Bean, Brutal Broccoli, and Krabby Cabbage. Though the fork works for attacking food items, it is much better if you're able to find the knife that is somewhere in the guy's gut. With the knife, you can attack in more directions, which can be handy. Be sure to look around also for a gelatin key, as some levels will require it or you'll be trapped. Hardy Manslapper is another adventure-style game with plenty to explore before you are done. Graphics and sounds keep in Franco Dragon's style and part of the charm of the game. Going to the Final Frontier Gaming, Eugenio. Thank you, Eugenio. Thank you so much. It's always good to hear from you, and... Uh, Glad that you're finally discharged by all those surgeons. I know it's been a struggle for you this year. Uh, I'm still struggling with my neck injury, but man, I don't want to have what you had, because I know it's been really rough for you. Me, I, I have good days and bad days, and uh, the good days I can do pretty much anything. The bad days I can do eh, almost anything, but still. Um, anyway, I didn't, I didn't uh, respond to your comment on Hardy Manslapper. On a couple of times I played Hardy Man Slapper, I found a gelatin key, but I didn't find that it actually did anything for me because I thought I found things that looked like they required a key, but nothing happened. So I don't know. I might not be playing the game properly, but nonetheless, I just, I could not finish this game. I, I, I'm just bad at it, which I guess that's good. Like if you may, if you're a homebrew developer and you're making a game out of 7,800 basic and people are having a hard time completing it. That means the game's challenging. So, uh, yeah, I don't. It, it, I'm having a hard time finishing it because I'm not good at it. It's not because it's not a well done game because it actually is. It's very creative, and I'm very glad that it exists. Um, Eugenio, thank you so much once again, and that does it for feedback for episode 45. <laughs> Hi, Harvey Knee Slapper here, <laughs> and I got a great practical joke for you today. Come here. <laughs> so see, see this rope right here? <laughs> well, this rope is connected up to that bucket up there. So with that, the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast episode 45 comes to a close. And there are some people that I do wish to thank, and I'm going to thank them right now. Thank you, Air Shack. Thank you, Ed Lydon Controllers. Thanks, Kyle Etter and Jimmy G and Gray Defender and Richard Grounds. And thank you to New Balance Phoenix Stores, PJ Steele and Richard Valdez. I am thanking these people because they have helped support this podcast monetarily through Patreon at patreon.com slash homebrew78. 
And if you wish to do so as well, go to that website that I just mentioned. The next payout that I get from Patreon is actually going to go toward my Extra Life donations. So thank you all for donating because you are supporting uh, sick kids who need to be cured. And uh, that's going to go straight to Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago. But having said that, my email address is homebrew78 at fab4it.com. And fab4it.com is spelled F A B. And then the actual number four, and then it.com. The show notes page is homebrew78.fab4it.com on the web. You can reach me on Twitter at homebrew78, and my YouTube channel is homebrew7800. Now, as for episode 46, um, I was not quite sure what I was going to do because you know what? At this point, I have covered in this podcast every complete Atari 7800 homebrew title that is known of, at least that I could find with the exception of the monitor cartridge. I really don't know what I'm going to do about that because I don't know machine language programming at all. Maybe I'll talk about 7800 basic at some point, even though it's technically not really a 7800 product per se, it's used to make 7800 products. Maybe I'll combine the two in a programming episode at some point. I don't know. I did get an offer to borrow a monitor cart, so who knows where that'll go. Froggy, as far as I know, is complete, and there are two different versions of it. There's a Tia version and a Pokey version, but I don't know if I should wait until that's going to come out. But the thing is, we don't know when that's going to come out. So I don't know. I'm just kind of up in the air about that. But what I might have to do is start talking about the unfinished projects that are going on, that have been going on. But I think what I'll do for episode 46 since it looks like Bob DiCrescenzo is taking at least a break from game programming, possibly permanently for all we know. We're going to look at some of the titles that he started, but never finished. You're just kind of hanging in limbo. And know that it's not going to include maybe Pac-Man because, well, that one is currently in progress just by other developers besides Bob. But anyway, in the meantime, thank you all very much for listening. I really do appreciate it so much. And I really would appreciate it if you give these hardworking homebrew developers the support they deserve. Go to the Atari Age store, go to Good Deal Games, go to any of the other vendors and buy a couple of titles and support these developers. Show them that they're appreciated and talk to you again in two-ish weeks. 